Welcome to Comfort's Corner. I'm your host, Paul Comfort, on this special edition of Transit Unplugged. Comfort's Corner now is available Monday, Wednesday, and Friday with new episodes that cover two days each and the Friday episode covering weekends, where we're dealing with how the COVID-19 crisis is impacting public transportation around North America and the world. Thank you so much for being with us today on our April 1st and 2nd edition. And today there's a lot of headline news. We're going to be covering the headline news. And then we have a newsmaker interview um, with the um, with one of the big important vendors in the public transportation world, and that is Proterra Bus. Proterra provides electric buses, and John Walsh, the Senior Vice President of Sales, is our guest. And then we do a reading from our book, The Future of Public Transportation. And now headline news. Earlier this week, we had on as our guest Marco D'Angelo and our newsmaker interview, who is the uh, CEO and president of CUDA, the Canadian Urban Transit Association. And he described to us the package which he was about to submit formally to the Canadian government. This would be similar to the Big CARES Act that was signed into law to help transit agencies here in America. So in Canada, they submitted their request uh, actually later that day after I talked to him uh, on Monday, March 30th of this week, asking for financial aid to support Canada's transit providers and assistance in securing the needed cleaning supplies and protective personal equipment. Marco D'Angelo said lower ridership and higher cleaning costs are adding up fast. To keep the buses and trains running and maintain strong systems, transit needs to be included in federal relief. CUDA said that uh, in 2018, fare box revenues in Canada were about $4.3 billion in Canadian dollars, uh, excluding other revenues hard hit by the pandemic, such as advertising and parking. With ridership down as much as 75%, fare box revenue down 100% on some systems, and some bridge funding was needed on as much as 40% of the systems. So CUDA was requesting that the Canadian government provide a two-pronged financial assist. They're seeking $400 million uh, per month to help systems make up for lost revenue, as well as access to $1.2 billion Canadian to help systems maintain liquidity before revenue relief can arrive. And uh, obviously their ability to deliver vital service, D'Angelo said, is deteriorating fast. Uh, and so CUDA explains another growing issue is the availability of disinfectants and personal protective equipment for employees with more than 70% of the association members reporting difficulty securing cleaning supplies and protective gear. CUDA is asking for transit to be added to a priority list of sectors receiving these products in the event their supply is restricted in an emergency. It's also seeking federal support to cover these costs. So they've submitted their request and uh, it's a very well thought out request, I thought, when Marco went over it with me and we're hoping that the government there receives it uh, and they're able to get that successfully like we were here in the United States. Just to recap on that, as you know, the CARES Act was signed into law, providing over $2 trillion to the economy, $25 billion of that to the public transit industry, and the law requires the Federal Transit Administration here in the U.S. to disperse those funds using the normal formula funding mechanisms within seven days. So my understanding is now, talking to insiders on the Hill, is that those funds will be released this Friday. Uh, and they'll come out with a list of uh, FAQs and a list of the agencies who are receiving the funds and how much they'll be receiving. Uh, and so that'll all be coming out this week. Uh, the transit industry in America on April 3rd, by the end of the day, should be flush with cash. And, um, uh, and they'll be able to then keep drivers employed, keep services running. Part of the issue now that some people are talking about, moving on to a related story, is that uh, while many agencies have kept service running close to full, others have mandated the usage drop to kind of match 
what the uh, demand is. Well, that's causing problems in New Jersey and New York. There was a big story today about how riders are concerned that the buses are full. So as they've cut back the routes to match the demand, and there's only a certain amount of bus routes and train routes going, those train routes are full of people and to withstand ease, and they're not able to keep social distancing. Some agencies in Canada and agencies like Houston here in the U.S. actually kept service full or even added vehicles on some routes to make sure people could keep that social distancing. As we've talked about on previous episodes of Comfort's Corner, many agencies now have blocked the front door or requiring people to enter the door, enter the bus through the rear door, and they're not collecting fares or not enforcing fares as strongly. And so they also now agencies are saying, you know, one person per seat or one person per row, I mean. Uh, and uh, and so people can keep their social distancing. But if the routes are cut back so dramatically that they're just back to full buses again, then they're concerned about the spread of coronavirus then as well. And so agencies are thinking twice about that and are saying, you know what, we need to think about that. We may we may not be able to um, to be able to cut back so much that people are jammed in. One uh, agency, uh, my buddy Brad down at PSTA, Pinellas Suncoast Transit Authority, the board approved funding there, $1.2 million in funding to complete safety shields on the buses. These are the clear plexiglass shields that protect the driver from, you know, people coughing and sneezing on them. So guess what? Just they all got finished now. And so they're excited about that. Uh, Brad Miller, the CEO of PSTA, said, I'm thankful for the hard work so many people did in order to complete this critical investment to keep our drivers and riders in our care safe. And uh, he said, during these difficult times, these shields also provide another layer of security for our operators, for which we're grateful. Speaking of operators, unfortunately, some agencies now are starting to cross that threshold where they may need to lay off drivers, which is a very difficult decision. And uh, one agency that actually was in the news recently uh, for other reasons has had to, in TARC, it's, it's in um, uh, Transportation Authority of River City in Louisville, they've had to temporarily lay off 133, 133 drivers directly uh, related to the decline of ridership from the COVID-19 uh, crisis. They've temporarily laid off 133 coach operators, but they've said as ridership returns, so will these valued members of the TARC team. The employees will be provided benefits such as health insurance for the next three months. And Tark explains this measure will be revisited before the end of 90 days to determine if additional assistance is needed. And so uh, as they've cut back their routes, they're cutting back their drivers. And uh, so that's a, that's a big change. Uh, I haven't seen other agencies starting down that road yet to lay off drivers. Most of them are very concerned to keep their drivers on board. Uh, especially in the paratransit services is critical. These drivers sometimes don't make as much as motor coach drivers, and they may be being paid around $13 to $15 an hour. Well, as you know, Amazon has announced that they're hiring, you know, up to 100,000 new people, and so are grocery stores for overnight stocking, et cetera. And a lot of these places are paying $17 an hour, which may be more than these drivers were making as, as uh, paratransit drivers. And so if they are let go or released, many transit leaders have told me just today that they're concerned they'll never get them back. And of course, these drivers have been through, you know, 50, 60, 100 hours of specialized training uh, to be able to secure wheelchairs and um, handle specialized clients and all the policies and procedures. Uh, and they've been drug tested and background checked and all the things that are required to produce a good uh, paratransit driver. And if they are, if they are uh, laid off or completely released, uh, they may find other jobs and then not be able to come back. And so that's a real concern in the industry.
So those are some of the headlines from across the public transit industry as we deal with the COVID-19 crisis here on uh, Transit Unplugged. Um, we're bringing you this, as I mentioned, every other day. I've also uh, personally been on a number of other podcasts and, and uh, have some other information going out. I've been on the Co-Motion and, uh, podcast, which is available right now, the Going North podcast um, with Dom Brightman and also the National Transport Podcast, a British-based podcast uh, over this week talking about COVID-19 and my new book, The Future of Public Transportation. Next week, uh, I'll be, I'm working with a number of CEOs, uh, and a number of them have already said yes to me, so that uh, it looks like on uh, Tuesday, the 14th of April, uh, most likely at 2 p.m., we're shooting for, and it looks like that's what's going to happen. Uh, so on Tuesday, the 14th at 2 p.m. Eastern time, we're going to do a live CEO roundtable where I include a number of CEOs from across North America on a live broadcast, which you can watch online. And, uh, and I'll be asking them about how they're responding to the COVID-19 crisis. I'll be announcing those names in the next day or two and probably on our Friday version of this podcast. I'm also going to be on a special program next week, uh, April 9th. It's a brand new show out called Coffee and Conversations from my friends out of Las Vegas doing it. I'll be their uh, premier uh, host uh, or the inaugural guest, I guess it is. Uh, and I'll be also be on um, Metro Magazine's new podcast with Alex Roman. Uh, and so lots of opportunities to make sure that we're socializing best practices across the industry as we are dealing with this COVID-19 crisis. Thank you so much for being with us today on our program. Be sure to stay tuned now for our Newsmaker interview uh, with Proterra Buses Vice President John Walsh, and then for a walk through our book, The Future of Public Transportation. I'm Paul Comfort. Thanks for being with us. Stay safe out there. All right, we're with John Walsh, uh, who is our special newsmaker guest today uh, on Comfort's Corner, who is Senior Vice President of Sales for Proterra, which is one of the big companies that makes electric buses here in North America. John, thanks for being with us. Hey, thank you, Paul. So um, tell us before, what we do normally on these newsmaker interviews is, uh, in order to give people context, I ask you to tell us some about uh, what your company does, and then we'll get into how it's responding to COVID-19. So tell us a little about your company generally. Yeah, so um, I'm the Senior Vice President of Proterra, and we're a manufacturer of battery electric buses and charging infrastructure solutions, and um, we're, the, we're the oldest in the industry, uh, new to the industry, but for electric buses, we're definitely the oldest, so it's great to be on your show today. Great, and uh, so COVID-19 has had, it's really done public transit as transit systems um, the ridership has gone down dramatically because governments have basically, you know, asked people to shelter in place at home. And right. so people are going to work and aren't going to as many places uh, around. So it's impacted ridership. Uh, how has it impacted Proterra? What are you all doing at a time like this with COVID-19? Yeah, great question. So our three manufacturing facilities, uh, one is in San Francisco in the Bay Area and Burlingame, one's in LA and one's in Greenville, South Carolina. So Obviously, we had the shelter in place immediately in San Francisco, evaluated the situation. We're probably one of the first companies that realized we were an essential business for public transit. Um, and we did shut down for one day just to regroup. But our all three of our facilities are up and running. Uh, attendance is great. We are taking big precautions uh, with our employees. They're our number one priority is their safety and the things that we're doing in the plant to keep them safe. 
but at the same time, stay on schedule uh, best we can uh, with our production schedules. And so, so far, so good, but we're monitoring it uh, daily. We have a, uh, a stand-up meeting every single morning with our leadership team and uh, to just to determine what the best thing to do going forward. But for now, we are in, in full production at all three plants. And I'm, I'm happy about that for the company and our employees mainly uh, to keep them going. Excellent. Um, and so uh, it's funny, it's several companies got new CEOs uh, just before all this stuff hit the fan. And you all were one of those companies. Tell me about that. Yeah, so uh, really great news in, in the midst of all the uh, crisis. Uh, we named a new CEO. His name is Jack Allen. And Jack has served on our board of directors for three years. So he's no stranger to Portera. Jack's background was uh, he was 30 years with Navistar. Uh, so he's familiar with building, manufacturing trucks and buses. And uh, he is our new CEO. Ryan Popple has uh, been named co-founder and executive director. So he's still on our team and, and definitely with us and on our board. So I'm excited to work directly with Jack. Um, he's got great background in manufacturing. And um, in it, I feel like it's really what Proterra needs uh, right now to take us to the next level. That's awesome. Yeah, we, I met Ryan and he was actually on this podcast. Uh, we did, uh, it's still active, uh, we did a great show on um, on zero emission buses, basically alternative fuels. And once a quarter on Transit Unplugged, we do an innovation show. And we talk about what's the latest innovation. So for the first quarter, our innovation show was about uh, you know, what's the, the three main new fuels, which are electric, uh, hydrogen, and compressed natural gas. And, and so he represented the industry for electric. And I got to know him a little bit this year and found right. him to be a fascinating guy. So I'm glad he's still going to be working with you, as well as uh, the great Jack Allen, who's got a great reputation. Um, a, a big question that's happening now, you mentioned that you close for a day and then you open back up. And there's been some concerns around the industry and factories, et cetera, about employees and making sure they're safe. Tell me what uh, Proterra, you know, as an example for other companies, what are you guys doing to support your employees? Yeah, so we're doing a few things that I think are really important for, you know, the audience to hear. Number one, we gave every employee at the company 40 hours of uh, paid um, vacation or PTO or sick leave. Like extra you beyond what they already have? Yeah, beyond what they already have. Okay. So um, we extended that to them. And that's really to help those that may uh, get sick, have a sick family member, or have childcare issues. Because we do have a lot of employees that are challenged with all the schools being closed. Oh, so right. we're working closely with them on that. So I think that's important. And then our um, employees that can work from home, we're having um, all of them work from home. And I have to be honest with you, uh, you and I were chatting before the podcast, I'm being very productive from home. You know, we're in airplanes a lot, we're going to a lot of meetings, but we're getting an awful lot done via uh, WebEx and Zoom. So I think we may be looking at how we do business going forward as an industry uh, to do things more efficiently and cost effectively. Um, and the last thing I'll share with you is we're just instituting, uh, as each employee enters our plant, we're actually taking temperatures of each employee just to be assured that they're not over the 100.4 degree uh, temperature. And we do that, you know, without getting too close to the employee where um, we can just take, uh, take their temperature and make sure everyone's safe. So a lot. Got one of those little laser things you did. It's, it's a laser. It yeah. sure is. And it, work, and it works well. So we're, we're going to start that on Monday. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, a lot of companies are doing that. I've noticed that hospitals are doing that. I've got some relatives that are nurses and they've, they've had to do that as well. Well, that's right. great. It sounds like some good best practices uh, for anyone who's continuing to operate an essential service. And we should note that in California and in most states, the governor has indicated that um, you know, public transportation and the suppliers and vendors are considered uh, essential services because you know, we are the industry that makes not only the wheels and the bus go round and round, but makes the wheels on our economy go round and round by getting all right. these frontline workers to work. I think that's been one of the unique uh, benefits of this. I always try to see the glass half full out of this crisis is that government agencies, as well as the general public now, I think get a, a fresh view of the role of public transportation in our society. That it's not just for low income people or just to take people to social services. It is really key to getting people to jobs. Uh, it is a, a, a part of our economic development package. Uh, and so it's getting the doctors and the, I know I used to run MTA in Baltimore and our, our subway system, one of the major uh, you know, drivers of ridership was the John Hopkins Hospital. I have a station right underneath John Hopkins Hospital, the main and, and people just, you know, doctors and nurses ride that. That's how they get to work. And so, you know, using that as an example, without that running, these folks would not be able to get to work necessarily. And so uh, you all are a big part of that in putting out, um, you know, buses, creating buses. So I, it sounds to me like you guys are continuing to deliver buses and continuing to build them. So we're not getting behind. I know people have these bus buys and they don't want to get behind, especially right. with electric buses, which are helping to clean our environment. Yeah, and I'll just make a comment on that. You know, when as we're looking at COVID-19 and what it's uncovering are a lot of respiratory issues that people have that maybe we knew, but we weren't really paying attention to. And if you look at some of these maps, maybe over in Asia, even in L.A., where before we went into the shelter in place, they were very red. And as you look at these maps of a carbon footprint, they're literally white. It, it's amazing which tells you we get fossil fuels off the streets and you put electric onto the street. And, and this is a plug, you know, for Proterra, but not just for Proterra, but all zero emission vehicles and zero emission buses. It, it, it's evident that it's going to help our health and, um, you know, the future of the, uh, of the country. So yeah. I think it's really something to look at. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it is, um, it's all these little, it's just like, you know, when we sent a man to the moon, there was all these uh, secondary benefits. I mean, you know, things that came out of the research and development for that, um, you know, they invented Tang, right? So that was, that was big for a decade or two. Exactly. So I love the, Tang. Yeah. One of the benefits of this uh, event is that it's showing us uh, that if we can get, uh, you know, all the smog and emissions out of the air, Obviously, it's going to clean things up. And so things we can do to help promote a cleaner environment, such as moving to zero emission buses, uh, is a big part of that. So thank you for commenting on that. And speaking of that, what would your message be now to transit agencies right now during this time of, uh, you know, of trouble and crisis? Well, it's interesting that when we went to this full lockdown, it was almost on the date of National operators day for, for transit operators. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. it was kind of amazing that it all kind of had happened at the same. And, and I'm, I'm watching the news and obviously on a lot of social media and, you know, the operators frontline, the things that we're doing, you know, uh, leaving space on the bus um, for passengers to ride safely on entering the middle door. I mean, it seems like there's, it shows how sophisticated our industry is from a management perspective. I'm watching these decisions by the CEOs and, and, the, and the operators within these systems doing all the right things, 
we're in a great industry, Paul. Everyone knows how to do the right thing uh, for the public. And I just think it's fantastic. And I just applaud not, not only the industry that's operating the vehicles, but those that support it. And I do have to mention, I sent a personal note to Paul at APTA, the CEO, and just, you know, this CARES bill was amazing uh, in the amount and, and the fight that, that Paul and Ward and the WebExes they had and, and the messaging that they got to Capitol Hill and how they were able to keep transit in that bill at the level they did, because I've got to be honest with you, in our, within our industry, not all pieces of the industry did get, the motor coach industry um, did not get uh, put in the same way transit did. And um, I just applaud Paul and, and AFTA and everything they did because that will impact businesses like ours. Most of it's for operating money, not so much for capital, but that helps run the vehicles and it helps them get to their next procurement. And uh, we think it's a fantastic thing. So just a shout out to Paul, APTA, his entire team, fantastic job. Definitely, I agree. I talked to him over the weekend and also thanked him for that. And, and like you said, a big part of the industry, and that's why I like the new format of our Comforts Corner version of Transit Unplugged, is that I get to talk to people who aren't just GMs of transit systems. Uh, right. Because a big part of the industry is not just uh, the, the CEO of the transit system, but it's also all the vendors and suppliers and partners that make public transportation go. And you're a big part of that, John. And, uh, and becoming an even bigger part as people realize the value of moving and there's legislative mandates moving people to actually, you know, try to take that smokestack out of the bus and, exactly. and get to a cleaner vehicle. I know that um, uh, I personally, for one, uh, am thrilled about the movement across the country to zero emission buses. I think, you know, our whole, one of our big messages to people is that, hey, get out of your car, get in a bus. But then right. if the bus is still belching smoke, uh, people are like, well, how is that making, <laughs> how is that, you know, that additional benefit of, you know, right. reducing congestion is one thing. Uh, and then bus only lanes and transit signal priority helping me get there quicker and more efficiently. But how is it cleaning the environment up? And it still is. I mean, even when you look at the numbers, but why not go all the way and make your bus zero emissions, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I think that's a, that's a great message. And that is our mission. Uh, at Proterra, and um, and we're trying to do it in the best possible way we can. Going to get through this crisis like everyone else. Come out on the other side of this, um, and um, I think all I think the industry will be even healthier. So, um, just want to say to everyone on the on the podcast, uh, stay safe, and um, uh, we look forward to uh, meeting up with everyone soon. Thank you so much, John Walsh, Senior Vice President of Sales at Proterra. And you keep safe too. And thank you for the work you do to help our industry. Paul, thanks for what you do. Appreciate it a lot. Thanks for being with us today on Comfort's Corner, a special pop-up podcast, part of the Transit Unplugged brand. I'm Paul Comfort, and this is the third and final portion of our program. As you know, each uh, day we bring you a new episode on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday of each week uh, looking at COVID-19 and the response of the transit industry. And we'd like to close each program by taking a longer look what's happening in the uh, longer range future uh, to keep our hopes alive and our plans for what happens after this uh, pandemic is, is uh, passed through. So we take a read from my best-selling book, The Future of Public Transportation. It was an Amazon number one new release bestseller earlier this uh, in March and uh, is available still for digital download. If you want to read it right away, you can 
pop it in your Kindle or your e-reader. Uh, and it includes, uh, or you can buy the paperback book for under $20. And it's on, um, it's on what's really happening over the next, I was looking for the next two to five years from most of the authors who helped contribute to the book. And some of them go on even beyond that. And there's 40 different co-authors or contributors to the book who wrote chapters about various topics that they're interested in. Today, I'm going to be reading from the last chapter of the book called One More Thing. Uh, it is a chapter that I authored. And it's, uh, I'm writing on public-private partnerships. Uh, while I was administrator and CEO of the Maryland Transit Administration, we started what was at the time the largest public-private partnership P3 project in America, the Purple Line. This was a five-plus billion dollar, 16.2 mile light rail line connected to the Washington Metropolitan Area Transit Authority, WMATA's Metro Line, with stations on the Maryland side. Uh, I selected a great executive director of the project, who is still there today, although it was just announced recently that he's moving on to the Triangle Transit area. And I hired much of our tremendous MTA staff to help kick it off. The project is moving forward toward completion. I like the concept behind these big P3s because they take advantage of the innovation from the private sector while ensuring quality service delivery for the public. These P3s often don't dictate all the hows, but mainly the what's of the project. What does that mean? Well, in a traditional government procurement, an agency would typically define in explicit detail, for instance, the type of metal and equipment to be used by a private contractor in designing and constructing an elevator for a transit station. It would detail the height and width and weight of the elevator, the type of electronics, and all the fine details of it. But in many P3s now, the agency details more what they want the end results to be and less exactly how they are to do it, such as wanting X number of passengers to be able to ride the elevator per hour safely and the agency will pay availability payments to the contractor for achieving that goal. This P3 approach allows for more current technology to be used and updated over the life cycle of the project as advancements become available. These contracts normally cover a multi-year construction timeline and then also perhaps a 20 to 30 year operating contract. So this approach doesn't limit what technology can be used 25 to 30 years from now. Steve Butcher, the CEO of John Holland Company in Australia, told me during his Transit Unplugged podcast interview, quote, in recent years, it's moved from just the separation of design and build and operations and maintenance into having a fully integrated model that's a full end-to-end -end service. In the rail division of John Holland, currently, we design and build the railway, we overlay the track and the signals and the signal integration, the testing and commissioning, but also then we would put skin in the game. We are then going to be responsible for operating and maintaining it for however long the concession is. Sometimes that may be five years. Sometimes the longest might even be 30 years. What it does is it gives our clients and the transit agency security that they've got a continuum all the way from designing a railway through the building in the best possible way. Because to be honest, you're, you're then going to have the responsibility of operating and maintaining it, unquote. So my takeaway is look for multifaceted consortiums of companies to continue to be utilized for construction and operation of large capital projects into this decade of the 2020s to design, build, operate, finance, and maintain them. Much of the benefit can also be achieved for government when they pass off the financing of these projects to the consortiums and maybe allow them to collect tolls or fares as their primary repayment technology. This keeps the government from having to issue large bonds and reduce reduces direct taxpayer subsidies for these mega projects like new rail projects, bridges, and facilities.
And that's the end of that portion of the reading, many of the book, The Future of Public Transportation, chapter 45, page 415. It is a 425-page tome. It's a big book if you want to read it. And, you know, you don't have to read it all, right? Pick out the, go to the table of contents, pick out the chapters that you want to read that are of interest to you and start with them. And hey, and if you do do that, I'd love it if you'd leave me a review on Amazon or just send me a note on LinkedIn uh, and get a hold of me. And by the way, I want to let you know that I am available for you. Uh, if your transit agency or city government or county is uh, interested in any help during this time um, of the COVID-19 crisis and want some feedback from someone who's had some industry experience in public transportation and also as a county administrator and county commissioner and how to, how to work things, we've got uh, Trapeze has tons of solutions that we can help you with. I also am free to talk to you, uh, no charge, just available to help you out. Um, Folks in the industry, if there's anything I can help you with, contact me at paul.comfort at trapezegroup.com. Plus, follow me on Twitter at ComfortPaul, or you can follow me and you can follow me on LinkedIn. Just find Paul Comfort on LinkedIn. Uh, you'll see all the transportation stuff and you'll know that's me. Um, and I'm also on Instagram uh, for a little more fun side of pictures and stuff of stuff that we're working on. You can find me at uh, PaulComfort2020. I want to let you know I'm also working on a children's version of this book. That's right. I've got an illustrator already working and designing it. I worked on and finished up uh, the first draft of the, um, of the storyboard, and he's working on it. We hope to have it available in a couple months. I think it'll be a great way to introduce our children to the benefits of transportation. It's going to be on the past, present, and future, and it tells a story about how mass transit has really helped our cities develop and continues to be the hub around which they operate. I'm Paul Comfort. Thanks for being with us today on Transit Unplugged, the special Comfort Corner edition. Be sure to tune in every other day, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, for these special updates on what's happening in the transit industry as it relates to the COVID-19 crisis. Take care out there. <music>